This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. So let's look at a few examples that we have in the, in the Old Testament of people arguing with God when they gave Him a certain task. The first one I want to look at is a man by the name of Jonah. We're going to start off in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So what you have here is this is a prophet, Jonah, and God sent him to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a wicked city. That was a city that they did not follow after God. There was a lot of idol worshiping. There was a lot of just really evil things that went on in Nineveh. But God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry against it. Preach to Nineveh that they should be following after him as God. And what Jonah did is he got up and he ran the other way. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went the opposite direction and he went to Tarshish. Now, I want you to read through here and listen to to all the extent that Jonah went through. It says in verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, so he was running the other way. And then he went down to Joppa, and he found a, a certain ship that was going to Tarshish. So he paid money to go on this ship, and then he, he went on there and so he could flee from the presence of the Lord. Now we kind of look at this and we think about, where are you going to go that God's not there? Where are you going to flee from God? If He gave you a task, how in the world are you going to run away from God who created everything? He is everywhere. Well, we know what happened with Jonah. We've all read the story where Jonah goes on this ship, and then there's a great storm and the turbulence of the sea, and all the men that were on the ship didn't know what was going on. So Jonah told them, look, you're going to have to cast me overboard, or or we're all going to die. So they throw him overboard, and then the great fish comes up and swallows him, and then he's in the fish's belly for three days and three nights, and then he stays there, and he's praying, and he's repenting of, of what he was doing. And then the fish spits him upon the land of the sea. And then after, after he goes through all that trouble and all that heartache is where we'll pick it back up. So in Jonah chapter 3, let's read verse 1 through 4. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So what God's telling him is like, look, do it. Do what I told you to go do. In verse 3 it says, So Jonah arose, and he went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah had to go through all of this heartache and all of this tribulation of getting swallowed up by the great fish and being in the belly for three days. And then finally he decided to do what God told him to do the second time. So he goes and and he performs what what he did. Now, the reason why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go to that great city, was because it was a great wicked city. He was fearful for his life. That was one reason. The other reason was he just didn't want to go do it. In Nineveh, there was a lot of Samaritans. And when you have a Samaritan, that would be kind of like a half-bred Jew, so to speak. That's when some of the Jews had a relationship with some of the Gentiles who were not chosen children of God, and their kids would have been Samaritans. They were half-Jew, half-not-Jew. So they would look like like it's just scum of the earth from the Jews. They were just not good people. So that's another reason why Jonah didn't want to go, is he didn't want to go preach to them to to turn after God, so that they would be overthrown. 
So he builds this big story in his head of why he doesn't want to go. And then finally he goes, and then let's see what happens. When he goes and he preaches unto Nineveh, then in verse 5, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So that big story that Jonah had created in his head of they're going to kill him, they're going to persecute him, and quite frankly he just didn't want to go, none of that happened. So he went and he performed what God told him to do, and it all worked out for the best for Jonah and for the people. So the point of the story where you can see that Jonah was arguing against the Lord is the Lord gave Jonah a task to do, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's response was instead of performing that task, he got up and he ran the other way. And he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now the second example we're going to look at is by a man by the name of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This is God talking to Jeremiah, and this is Jeremiah recapping that. So Jeremiah is saying, The Lord told him that I had formed thee before you were born, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Okay? So now let's look at Jeremiah's response for him to be a prophet unto the nation. His response in verse 6 was, said, Then said I, All Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. So Jeremiah was a relatively young prophet at the time, and he gave the excuse of, I can't go be a prophet. I can't go do what you want me to do because I'm only a child. He gave that excuse. Now let's look at God's response to that excuse. God's response in verse 7 and 8 says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. So God's telling Jeremiah, get the excuses out of here and just go do what I told you to do. You're supposed to be a prophet. I ordained thee a prophet before you were born. Jeremiah's response is, I can't go do what you want me to do. And God said, no, you can and you're going to, and I'm going to be with you. So where Jeremiah argued with the Lord is he gave excuses of why he couldn't perform the task that God had, had commanded him to do. Now the third example we're going to look at is by King Saul. King Saul was the very first king of Israel. And you have a couple descriptions of King Saul. It says that he stood head and shoulders above all the other men. He looked as a king would want to look. He looked at, like that guy that, man, you'll follow him into battle. You'll go with him wherever he wants to go. He looks like a king. Well, he was given his first commandment, his first thing that he was told to do after he became king was to go utterly destroy all the Amalekites. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in, in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So the commandment that God gave him was to go wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. Now the reason why God wanted to do that is hundreds of years before, what, have you had, what you had happened was Israel was wanderers in the time. They were wanderers in the wilderness. They were moving through. And what they did was they would have their elderly people and the sick people, and they were kind of in the back of the, the bandwagon that was going. Well, what the Amalekites did 
is they laid wait and they hid in all the forests and the trees and stuff like that. When Israelites came through, they came around the backside and they killed all of the elderly people, all the sick people who had absolutely no way to defend themselves. Well, obviously you can see that was the children of God and that made God quite mad. And God said, I will remember what you did. Now hundreds of years pass at this time and, and now it's time that he wants Saul as the king to go utterly wipe out Amalekites. Just take them off the face of the earth. He says, utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not. Wipe them out. That's a pretty easy commandment to understand, isn't it? Go wipe them out. Okay? Well, here's what Saul did. He didn't give any type of verbal argument, so he just got up and he went to go do it. First Samuel 15, verse 4 and 5 says, And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talium, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. So Saul got up and he went to go perform what he was taught to do. Everything's looking good so far. He's going to go do what he needs to. Then let's continue on in verse 7 and 9. It says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they utterly destroyed. Now we see the problem. God was very clear. Go wipe them out. Spare them not. Kill everything that they've got. Even the babies, even the camels and asses, you wipe them out. Every single one of them. But what they did was they wiped out everything that looked bad in their eyes, and everything that looked okay, it looked good, that they kept. So then you have God's response to that. In verse 11, God said, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So that one lack of action, he did not do what God had told him to do. God's response was, It repents me that I have made him king. So God doesn't like it when we only halfway perform a task, which is what Saul and the people did. They didn't utterly destroy all of them. They only utterly destroyed the, the things that were bad in their eyes. You know, Saul said that he had good intentions, that he was going to go make sacrifice with these things. We have that in verse 21 and 22. It says, But the people took of the spoil and sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of the rams. Now there's a lot that you can pull out of these few verses right here, but the first thing I want you to look at is when Samuel is questioning Saul, why did you not kill everything that you were taught to kill? Saul's first response is, I didn't do it, the people did it. Look at there in verse 21. It says, But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of all things, which should have been utterly destroyed. Saul knew that they should have been utterly destroyed. He said it. And he also failed to take responsibility. Now keep in mind, Saul is the king. Whatever Saul says goes to the people. He's the one who allowed them to take the spoil, the sheep and the oxen. So even though he said it was the other people that did it, it was Saul too. Because Saul had the leadership. And he knew that they were supposed to be utterly destroyed, but he didn't do it. So and then, instead, he tried to make another excuse of why they didn't utterly destroy everything. 
So he said, well, we kept it so we can make a great sacrifice to the Lord. You know, back in Leviticus, in the law, it tells us that we should make sacrifices, right? We should do these things that should be pleasing unto God. So that's what we did. We utterly destroyed everything that looked bad. It wasn't very good. Everything that was good, we decided to keep it so we can make these great sacrifices unto God. Because wouldn't that make God happy? No, would not make God happy. And that's what Samuel was trying to teach him. So Samuel says... To obey is better than sacrifice. You know that you're supposed to go out and utterly destroy everything. You disobeyed that. So your good intentions, if they were good intentions, and your excuses do not give you any reason not to obey God. And that was God's response. Is it repents him. It makes him sad that he made Saul king over Israel. So how Saul argued with the Lord is he didn't give an excuse. He didn't try to run away. But what he did do is just complete lack of performance. He only halfway performed what God wanted him to do instead of fully perform what God wanted him to do. So here's the three types of arguments that we have. The first one is you have Jonah who got up and was running away, tried to get away from the Lord. The second one you have the young prophet Jeremiah who was given excuses based upon his age of why he couldn't do what God wanted him to do. And the third one is Saul is instead of performing God's plan, he just decided to do his own plan. So these are the three arguments that we have. And I'll tell you, if you go through and you read the Old Testament, you will see many more examples that you could use of people arguing with the Lord. But here's the three that we're going to focus on today. So now I want, we, we look at these arguments and we look at these things, we look at these examples. You know, it's kind of easy for us to sit here this morning and laugh a little bit or shake our head. Be like, what are these people thinking? Why don't they just do what God told them to do? It's easy to think that way, isn't it? What I want to ask you is, how many times have we argued with God? How many times have we looked at it, and when God gave us a task, we were like Jonah, instead of doing it, we just run the other way? How many times do we give excuses of why we can't do something? I know you told me to go preach the gospel to all the world, but I can't do that. I'm too busy. I don't have the skill set. I don't have the knowledge. I'm too old. I'm too young. How many times do we give excuses? Or how many times are we like Saul, where we may have the best of intentions, and we look at the commandments that God gave us, and we say, yes, I'm going to go perform that task, but we only halfway do it. We don't do it with our full heart's desire. We don't obey the full plan that God has set out for us. We only halfway do it. How many times do we disobey God, and thus do we argue with the Lord? You know, remember, we looked at, at the very first, when people are arguing with the Word of God, they disagree with the Word of God, then they're arguing with the Lord. Who is going to win that argument? We know God will, the creator of all things. So now let's look at some really applicable ways of how we can make sure that we're following through with God's plans. The first thing is I want to look at how to obtain salvation. You know, it is strict obedience to obtain salvation. God has a set plan. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, there's tons of people out in the world today that they'll call Jesus Lord. They'll call Him Lord and Savior of their life and the Messiah. However, they don't do the will of the Father. They haven't obeyed the commandments that were set forth. And Jesus said, Not everyone who calls me Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not all those people, but the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven is those who will actually do the will of my Father. And we also know that His way is the only way to heaven. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, there's a really popular belief going around the world today that there's all these different ways that you can get to heaven, or they may not even say heaven, they may just say eternal life. There's all these different ways where you can obtain eternal life, and you don't have to go through Jesus Christ. You can go through Buddha, you can go through Muhammad, you can go through all these other men. It, it's not necessarily Jesus. Now, the Bible is very clear, and it tells us that there is one Lord, and that one Lord and that one Savior is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to obtain eternal salvation. So when we think about that, people will say we're all going to heaven, taking different paths to get there. There's no different paths to get to heaven other than through Jesus Christ. That is the way. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome here. And what he's telling them here is that instead of finding out and making sure they're studying to know what the righteousness of God is, they're ignorant of it. They have a lot of zeal. They have a lot of energy and passion towards what they believe. But it's wrong. It says they're ignorant about God's righteousness, so they go about and establish their own righteousness. So instead of following after the word of God, they follow after their own plans. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When you think about that, you think about the Roman here, the church, the Jews, that they were going after, they were not following after the righteousness of God, they were going after to establish their own righteousness. In Proverbs, it tells us that sometimes we think we know what's right, and if it doesn't directly correlate with what the Word of God says, we are wrong. Even though we may think we're right, if it is not in correlation with what the Bible teaches us, we are not right. There's a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now I want you to think about that for a second. We just talked about how there's a lot of people that they say there's multiple ways to heaven. There's multiple different beliefs, there's multiple faiths, there's multiple paths, whatever you want to call it. That seems like it would be a good thing, right? doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you've came from. From human perspective, that's a nice thought. That you can believe whatever you want. doesn't matter if you were never taught the gospel, if you never had the opportunity to obey it. That's okay because God loves everybody, so everybody's going to be saved. There's a way which seems right unto man. But to the end thereof, they are the ways of death. Even though we may not like it, we may not agree with it. If the Word of God says there's one way to heaven, there's one way to heaven. We need to live with it. So how do you know that your sins are forgiven? How do you know that you are on that path, that you have been saved? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you really want to know your salvation is secure, study the Word of God. In Romans, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to increase your faith, if you want to increase your knowledge of God, study. Don't take my word for it. Don't take any other preacher's word for it. Don't take anybody's word for it except the Word of God. Study to show thyself approved so that you can rightly divide the Word of truth, so you know what the Word of truth says. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of people out there today that they'll say, Well, I'll think this. Or will I think that? I think the Word of God says this. Or I think God would want me to do this. And a lot of times that does not sync up with God's plan. 
And if you think something, but you can't back it up with Scripture, and you can't show the truth from the Scriptures that what you think is right, then you are wrong. Remember Saul, that he thought he would, that God would prefer sacrifices, right? He went out and he did not utterly destroy, destroy all the Amalekites, but instead he spared the good things, and he said, well, I think God would like these sacrifices. Was Saul right? No. Remember Samuel's response is to obey is better than sacrifices. We need to, to have the same response for ourselves. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter what our emotions say if they're not backed up by Scripture and by truth. And that's what we need to remember. Now, there's also a strict obedience of being a Christian. So after you have obtained salvation, after you've washed your way your sins and you've been baptized into the blood of Christ, then you become a Christian. Now there's a strict obedience to what Christians need to do. So we have certain responsibilities. Sometimes we neglect those responsibilities and we try to run away like Jonah did. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it's an unfortunate reality, but sometimes we see people do this. We Sometimes we see people put their hand to the plow, they start working for the kingdom of God, they start performing the task, but then they start looking back. They start thinking about all the different temptations and the desires of this world that keep calling them. And instead of staying true to the course and keeping that work going, they decide to turn back and follow after the world. And Jesus said, no man doing that is fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot fall back into the temptations of the world. You have to stick true to the course. So I want you to think a little bit about something that, you know, if you were to think about your job and you're working for your employer, your employer gives you certain tasks, how many times can you avoid doing those tasks before you get fired? The first time you might get a little slap on the wrist or the first time a little bit of a correction and then it kind of turns into maybe a write-up or something like that. But eventually, when you don't perform your task that you're supposed to do, they will fire you. That's common sense, right? What's really different about being in the kingdom of God and serving our master, Jesus Christ? How many times can you neglect your responsibilities before Jesus says you're not fit for the kingdom of God because you have not continued the work? It's just something to think about. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth, so instead of listening to what the truth says, we just close our ears up. And instead, we turn around to different fables. We look for things that's going to be pleasing to us. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 and 10, it says that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine looking at the word of the Lord and you go open to read it, and instead of saying, Lord, don't reveal your truth to me. Don't tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. Show me what I can see in these things that will make me feel good. That will show me and validate my actions where I don't have to change. I don't have to repent for my worldly ways. But instead, show me that everything's going to be okay. Prophesy deceits. Could you imagine saying that to the Lord? That's what these people were doing. And sometimes by our actions, that's what we do too. 
is instead of following after what God actually says, we don't want to hear those things. We don't want to hear the things that are going to convict us, that are going to tell us you have to change from your ways. You have to follow after the word of the Lord. And isn't that arguing with the Lord? If we're not going to follow after what he says, then we're following after our own ways. There's another example that we have. When we looked back at Jeremiah, Jeremiah was given excuses of his age of why he couldn't do certain things. Well, sometimes we give excuses as well. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. But unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. You know, God expects us to use what we've been given. Here's a couple things that you've been given. One thing is you've been given a mind. You've been given the ability to read. You've been given the ability to study. You've been given your mouth, your ability to speak. You've been given things that you can go teach other people the Word of God. You've been given ways that you can be hospitable. You've been given all these great things. And in Luke chapter 12, it says, Unto whom much is given, much is required. God expects you to use what He has given you with. It doesn't matter in your eyes if you think you've been given a lot or been given a little. You have been given a lot. You've been given many tools, many resources, and many opportunities that you can go spread the gospel to other people. And God expects you to use that. But instead, so much of the time, it seems like we use so many excuses of why we can't do it. A lot of the excuses we use here in America is we're too busy. We've got too much things going on. Maybe we use the excuse of, well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will go talk to those people or spread the gospel to them or maybe correct a fellow brother or sister when they start erring. Somebody else will take care of that. I don't necessarily need to. God has given you the ability to take care of these actions. We need to make sure we're not using excuses. Your own abilities, too, you're not capable of doing the things that God's given you. Just as Jeremiah had said, I can't go speak to these people. I'm a child. God said, don't say you're a child, for I'm with you. You're not going on your own. God's going with you. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. God is telling this to Joshua when he was giving Joshua this great task to go do. And God is telling you and I the same thing today. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. If God tells us to go do something, God's going to go do it with us. Have you ever had that employer that you would work beside that guy all day long because he will not ask you to do anything he's not willing to do himself? And then you've also had that employer that he's just going to go tell you to do something because, quite frankly, he doesn't want to go do it. Which one do you prefer to work with? You prefer to work with the guy who's going to be standing right at your hip, and he's going to be right there with you. He's going to be taking care of that task. Well, God is the same way. God is there with you taking care of that thing. So you're not having to do it alone. We don't have to be afraid. We can be strong and of good courage, and he's commanded us to be strong and of good courage, and he will be with us to help take care of those things. Most of the time, we we make these excuses of why we can't go do something, and then it turns into we never get it done. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4 through 6, it says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is in the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, 
And in the evening, withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they, shall, whether they both shall be alike good. What God is relating here in, in Ecclesiastes, he's relating it back to a farmer. What you have with farmers is sometimes they'll say like, well, I can't go sow the seed. I can't go plant the seed because it looks like the wind's going to come and the wind's going to blow it away. Or I can't go take care of the harvest because it looks like it's going to rain. I can't go do it during the rain, so I'm going to have to wait for the rain to come and go, and then it'll pass by. What God's telling is you quit worrying about all this stuff. When it's time to go sow, you go sow. When it's time to go harvest, you go harvest. Quit making excuses because you don't know what's going to turn out good. And we don't know all the workings that the Lord is performing behind the scenes that we will never know about. We'll never know about how God is working on the hearts of other men, and it's our responsibility to go make sure we're taking care of our task. And we don't know how it's going to work out. Now, the third thing we have of the excuses that people tend to use is using lip service and not following up with action, kind of like Saul. When you think about Saul, like he said, when he got the commandment, go utterly destroy all the Amalekites, Saul said, yes, I'll go do it. I'll go take care of it. But then he didn't follow it up. He didn't follow it up with complete action. Well, sometimes we do the same thing. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, it says, And why call you me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why don't you think about that for a minute? If you're going to call Jesus Lord, what does Lord imply? That he's the ruler and savior of your life? He's the king and authority of everything that you do? If he's your Lord, you should obey him. So what Jesus is saying is, why are you calling me the savior of your life? Why are you calling me the king authority of everything that you do, but you don't obey me? Why you're having lip service, but you don't follow it up with actions? In James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, If a brother or sister be naked of destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What I want to look at with this is there's sometimes we see opportunities where we can do good unto other people. And we use lip service instead of following up with actions. And here's what those times could look like. is You see somebody, a direct example, you see somebody naked and destitute of daily food. You see a brother or sister that they're in need. And you can do something about it. You can go give them clothes. You can give them a little bit of money. You can give them some, some food. You can welcoming, welcome them into your home. You can take care of the, your brothers and sisters. But instead of doing that, say, depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. I hope you go find what you're looking for. Well, that sounds good. But what, is, what good does it do? What does it profit when we don't take care of our actions and we don't do what we know we're supposed to do? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 2 and 3, it says, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. You know, Jesus goes later on and calls these scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. Multiple times he goes in and says, Woe unto you, you hypocrites. And then he rebukes them for something. Well, that's what he's talking about here at the end of verse 3. It says, Don't do you after their works. Don't follow their deeds. Do what they tell you to do, because what they're telling you to do is the right thing. But don't do what they're doing, because what they're doing is not what they're saying. Their actions are not matching up with what they're saying. We've seen people like that. Sometimes we ourselves have been like that. We talk a good talk, but we don't walk the walk. Sometimes we have fallen into that trap. 
So the three types of arguments to tie it back in with what we're looking at is the first one you had Jonah fleeing from our responsibilities. So where have you fleed from your responsibilities this morning? What's some of the things that God has told you to do? You know you need to go do it. You've studied it for yourself. You've seen it from the Word of God. But instead of doing it, you decide to run away. Or you just decide to completely ignore it. The second one is we use excuses to try to get out of work. Where have you used excuses in your life this morning? What's some of the things that you've told yourself, I can't go do what God wanted me to do because of this or because of that? Remember, God is always with you. He will never tell you to go do something that you're incapable of doing without His help. And the third one is, where have you had good intentions in your life, good intentions of obeying God and doing what He wants you to do, but you have not followed it up with action? You haven't really put forth a good work and instead using more lip service. So arguing with the Lord is just that this morning. It's arguing with Him. When you fail to follow after what the Word of God says, you are arguing with the Lord. You're in disagreement with Him. You know, sometimes people will say when you talk about uh, criticizing or you talk about chastising people, rebuking them to try to get them back on the right track, here's a very common phrase you'll hear. Don't judge me. You're going to hear it. Maybe some of you are thinking that this morning. Don't judge me when you're hearing a lesson like this. But I want, to, what I want to show you in Acts chapter 13, verse 45 and 46, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So what you have here is you have Paul and Barnabas. They were preaching, and they had a lot of people start following them. And then the Jews, they got envy. They got jealous. They didn't want the people to follow after Paul and Barnabas. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas... Paul was an apostle of God, and what he had was he got the words from the Spirit of what he was supposed to speak. So when we have Paul speaking in the New Testament, it's just like God speaking through him. And then you have the Jews contradicting and blaspheming. They were arguing with the Lord. They were arguing against what the Word of God said. And then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold, and here was their response. It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you, you're not agreeing with it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So when you think about that, there's nobody judging you if you're doing right or wrong. But if you're arguing with the Lord this morning, you're judging yourself unworthy. That's what Paul was teaching us. So instead of judging ourselves unworthy of the Lord and unworthy of that everlasting life, submit to His Word. Do what He says. Quit arguing with the Lord. Quit making excuses. Quit trying to find reasons why you can or can't do something. Quit running away and ignoring of what God needs you to do. Just obey God. If you're going to call Him Lord, do the things that He says. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.